I believe that we are in a defining moment uh, for our society and for our culture in America. There are grave changes that are coming that are going to affect Christianity and our position in this nation, as well as in the world. And I believe that we're in the, what is probably going to be uh, a war against religion. And uh, to begin that, let's just take a look at Friday's news. In the headlines, if you notice that the nation of Ireland has passed overwhelmingly um, gay marriage. And so, as Leo uh, Varadkar, a cabinet minister in Ireland, said, this is a social revolution. And that's true. These are words that are very important to use and understand as to what's going on. There is definitely a moral revolution taking place. Nearly two-thirds of Irish voters supported amending the Republic of Ireland's constitution to allow gay marriage, making it the first country to legalize gay marriage in a popular referendum. 62.1% of Irish voters said yes to changing the nation's constitution to allow gay marriage. Now that is traditionally Catholic Ireland. We're a new country, said political analyst Sean Donnelly, who called the result a tidal wave. It's produced pro-gay marriage majorities in even the most traditionally conservative rural corners of Ireland. And I think it's important for us to realize and recognize that this is taking place even in conservative, conservative areas of countries. And it's really moving in not only to the fringe and the liberal, but now even the conservative, and as a general consensus of most nations and states, countries, uh, so gay marriage is being approved. Um, let me uh, help you understand the dynamics of how this is being done. This first column, you have the yeses of over 83% of ages 18 to 24 then up to about 78% with ages 25 to 34. Then ages 35 to 49, you're at about 70. At ages 50 to 64, you're just a little below 60%. And then at 60, age 65 and older, you're at about 38%. So you can see how this is sweeping a culture and it's happening generationally. Those kids growing up with the knowledge of this and it being more freer, uh, see no problem whatsoever, as well as Christianity fading from the, the, the social norms. Therefore, it's easier for many of the young adults, young people, to not even comprehend God and the Bible comparing to uh, what is moral, believe it or not. And so that's what's taking place. Now, I share with you uh, what uh, gay activists Paul Varnell says, the gay movement, whether we acknowledge it or not, is not a civil rights movement, it's not even a sexual liberation movement, but a moral revolution aimed at changing people's view of homosexuality. This is what we really need to come to understand. This is a moral revolution. It's got verbiage and language that talks and uses civil rights language so that everybody wants to fight for a cause of civil rights, 
We want equality. That, that fits into everybody's uh, gear house, especially Americans. We're all for equal rights and civil authority, uh, civil rights. But it's not really about that. It's not about uh, sexual liberation. They're as free as they could be <laughs> around the world. It's really about changing the moral fiber of not only this nation, but every nation in the world to create a post-Christian world, to get out from under religious dogma and doctrine and to redefine what is moral and what is not moral. Now, with Ireland coming under this uh, banner, now we have 22 countries worldwide that allow gay marriage. And so it's happening globally. Don't think that this is just an agenda in America. It's an agenda all over the world. That is a powerful force. It is very well funded. It is very well thought out and it has been excellent in its execution to accomplish its goals. And uh, we've been caught sleeping on this thing. And uh, what I want to share with you today is one of the problems we have in combating this. U.S. There are same-sex couples are able to marry in 37 states of the United States now. We're up to 37. Even though many of the states have, the voters had said, no, we don't want same-sex marriage, we don't want gay marriage, but they've been overturned by courts and judges that simply disregard what the people want. So this is a tough fight. It's a tough battle because it makes those who are opposed to it sound bigoted, haters. I've been called that myself. It makes us sound as if we're uh, uh, really restrictive and so forth. And uh, even though we do speak and we do make a move to say we want to uphold biblical values, judges and courts overturn it anyways. It feels like a losing battle. So we need to understand what's going on and how to prepare for it. And you need to be a spokesman for Christianity and why we take the stand we do. So why do we oppose same-sex marriage? And I'll share with you a little later why we're calling it, as they entitle it, same-sex marriage as opposed to gay marriage. Because if you'll understand the verbiage, and this is the key, those who, under, those who own the language and make the language make the rules. And so same-sex marriage isn't necessarily about gay marriage. It's broader than that. If you redefine marriage to just same-sex marriage, you could have two heterosexual males, two heterosexual females. You could have two people agreeing to marry together to get the benefits and the adoption rights for children. And so it could come in many various forms. It's not just for the gay agenda. It's really about redefining marriage, or as I understand it, undefining marriage. I'm going to give you four reasons we're opposed to this. Number one, the very first uh, reason is because it violates natural law and nature's God. I mean, that's in our Constitution. We appeal to God, the God of nature and nature's law, by which we establish that all people have equal rights. Well, this violates natural law and, of course, God's law and God's design. But it's hard to make an argument to a group of folks and to a society who no longer regard God's word as God's law. So for you to quote the Bible to someone means absolutely nothing. 
So we need to have an argument that goes beyond what is scripture, but appealing to creation's order and natural law and the God of nature. One of the problems with gay marriage, same-sex marriage, is this. It is 100% sterile. It will never reproduce. It will never procreate. Therefore, anybody who is in a same-sex marriage that wants a family has to begin creating children outside of their family to bring them into their family and make a substitute family and create children as a commodity. This is a problem. We'll get into that a little bit later. Jesus had declared that marriage is to be sacred when the Pharisees came to ask him about divorce and casting off or putting off one wife for another. Jesus said this, what God has joined together, let no man separate. What he's saying is the institution and the design in creation for one male, one female was God's purpose design for the well-being of the family, which is the nucleus of a society. What God's joined together, let no man separate. Now, it might be politically correct to favor same-sex marriage, but it is not morally correct. You see, our society is no longer interested in truth. It's interested in emotional impact. We don't gauge anything anymore by what is true because, well, we've effectively gotten rid of truth. Truth is simply subjective. It's transitional. But we're now more concerned with the emotional impact of how we feel. When it comes to the well-being of the family and the fiber of a society, we don't want to have those philosophical discussions. We want to point out to you uh, a couple gay couple or friends of folks who had a hard time and have been resisted, and we need to care that they're such loving, good people. And I'm sure they're loving, good people, and I don't doubt that they love each other. Absolutely they love each other. But what is the best for our culture and our society to sustain the health and well-being of family. It goes back to the issue of what is true and what is moral. But that discussion's hard to find. Especially, you would think that God's people would stand up. A new poll says that, well, it once said 75% to 80% were Christians in America. Now the new poll says about 60% claim to be Christians. But you think with even 60% claiming to be Christians, we could have had a large voice at least over the 3% that are pro-homosexual. But something's happened even in the church. Religion has changed. They've abandoned the, again, transcendent knowledge of truth to what feels right and good. The religious changes now have Religious support for same-sex marriage is 47% as opposed to now 45 against same-sex. That's in the church. The statistics are 77% of Jews favor same-sex marriage. 62% of mainline Protestant denominations favor same-sex marriage. 61% of Catholics favor same-sex marriage. 60% of Hispanic Catholics are in favor of it, and 56% of Eastern Orthodox Christians are in favor of same-sex marriage. We can't rally the troops because the troops are divided. And something has gone amiss. These are folks who are supposed to be Bible-believing folks 
who would believe that God created man and woman and who would believe that God ordained marriage as sacred and holy before God. But they have abandoned that view. Where does that leave you? While the tide is turning, where does that leave those who declare to be born-again Christians? Will you be like Laodicea? Will you change your point of view to match the culture you're living in? It's called becoming lukewarm. The same temperature as the moral character of the city you're in or the nation you're in. Or will you remain hot and fervent for the word of God or cold and refreshing to honor the word of the Lord above all things round about us? Well, get ready. If that's going to be you, you're going to be facing some difficult times. And we are right on the precipice of a change coming in June when the Supreme Court makes its decision on same-sex marriage. It's going to have an impact on the church and it will have an impact on you. So where will you go? Where will you stand in this situation? Unfortunately, the church that represents the Lord Jesus Christ has opted away from what is biblically true to what is emotionally convenient. And so we preach the love of Jesus, which is all-inclusive to everybody. Of course it is. But he's not all-inclusive to sin, to what is morally called sin. Of course he loves the sinner. He died for the sinner. For what reason? To save him from his sins. But for us to even call homosexuality a sin may change by July. Let's go on. Here's the second reason we're opposed to same-sex marriage. It devalues marriage. The sanctity of marriage. Same-sex marriage is not just about homosexuals. It changes the definition of marriage itself. And that is extremely important. Language like marriage equality, freedom to marry, give us our freedom to marry, and same-sex marriage are geared to provoke emotional responses concerning same-sex couples in marriage. But it hides that participation is not possible without eliminating the only institution that unites children with one mom and one dad. That's the sanctity of marriage. What happens when you want to redefine marriage, you must undefine marriage. What do I mean by that? Right now on the books, it says only marriage is between a man and a woman, which is recognized. It will become marriage between two persons is recognized. You see, when you change it from a man and a woman, and even go beyond just the issue of homosexuality, you can have two people marry. What happens to the state laws? Did you know, we're all upset that the, that the state would, would hinder marriages. Did you know that in 27 states you can't marry your first cousin? Did you know in a number of states that there is an age of consent? For marriage, these are regulations and rules set by the state to protect marriage. What happens when we redefine marriage? Can you marry your first cousin? Could you marry your brother or your sister? Why not? 
if we're going to make it a guy and a guy and a girl and a girl, what else can we change? Does it have to simply be two? And guess who's standing in the wings on that? Polygamy. As well as Mambla, Man-Boy Love Association, which are the pedophiles who want to say, I'm in love with a nine-year-old. Why wouldn't that change? And that becomes the issue of undefining marriage. We're concerned about this. Because if you redefine traditional marriage to same-sex marriage, then why not polygamy with a man and many wives or three men and one wife? And then why not incest? Why not bestiality? You love your cat, you love your dog, why don't you marry it? Marriage becomes meaningless. I'll never forget this moment I had when I was in the city of Detroit and I was with a group of pastors, the Black Coalition for Family, because they're tired of the... um, The black congregations are tired of the homosexual community using the civil rights argument to promote gay marriage. And I was with that group. We were uh, protesting at the courthouse when the judge decided to overturn the Michigan voters' declaration that marriage should be one man, one woman. And as we were there on the streets saying we believe in traditional marriage, I had the opportunity as I was marching in a circle to march alongside and with a couple lesbian, young lesbian girls. Uh, nice girls and we had a nice conversation and we began talking and I wanted to explain to them our position. And they were explaining that they loved each other, that they were living together, they wanted to be together and they wanted to marry each other. And I said, well, we don't have hate towards you. We care about you and uh, we know that God loves you. But we have a problem with the voters of the state of Michigan saying that we want to keep marriage defined as one woman and one man. And she didn't understand the reasoning. And I said, because of this slippery slope, if you undefine marriage, why couldn't you have a polygamist wanting to have the right to marry? And her response to me is, oh, well, we wouldn't stand for that. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, the gay community doesn't want you know, pedophiles to have children as well. We'd stand here with you and pick at that. And I thought the irony of this, that we're standing right here and you're opposing what we voted to keep. And why wouldn't the pedophiles do the exact same thing and have a judge pass that? It just made no sense at all. And it was completely ironic for that situation. Listen, the definition of marriage must be changed in ways that remove all authority to promote the unique value of men and women marrying before having children. This is a dangerous direction for us to head into. Let me read to you a quote from uh, Yale Law professor and gay rights advocate William Eskridge. He said this, Redefining marriage involves the reconfiguration of the family, de-emphasizing blood, gender, and kinship ties. So again, to redefine marriage, you have to eliminate all restrictions we've already put on marriage for its health and well-being. And to put it as gay rights activist and author Meisha Gessen says, fighting for gay marriage generally involves lying about what we're going to do with marriage. Listen, there is already civil union, 
and rights for gay people to live together and in a civil union have marriage together. But this is not about that. And that's what she's pointing out as the lie. This is about attacking moral fiber of a nation, religious war. This is about the Bible and what God says. That's what this is coming down to. So it's about reconstructing our society. Here's the third reason we're opposed to it. Number three, negatively impacts children and the family unit. This is Mark um, Regnerus. Mark Regnerus is a sociologist from the University of Texas. According to his 2012 New Family Structure study in the University of Texas, sociologist Mark Regnerus has conducted the largest study comparing the outcomes for adult children of biological two-parent families to those of parents who have been in the same-sex relationships or divorced and single parents and so on. There are statistically significant differences on variables for children of a mother or a father who had a same-sex relationship, ranging from joblessness to educational attainment to increased rates of depression when compared to children who lived with their mother, married biological parents throughout childhood. There were also differences from the adoptees, stepchildren, and children of single parents. This guy got lambasted for this survey, for this work. They came against him, made a mockery of him, but when they challenged his work and reviewed it, it stands. There is a marked difference from those adult children who were raised by a mother and a father. It's the healthiest unit that there is in a society, and it is the healthiest situation for the children. Let me read to you a very interesting uh, comment by these two gentlemen. This is Keith Mills and Patty Manning. They are both uh, homosexual leaders in Ireland, and they were opposed to redefining marriage in Ireland. And let me read to you their explanation why. They get it. This is from the Washington Post. We should not redefine marriage. Two of the most prominent opponents of same-sex marriage in Ireland are homosexual men, and they seem to have caused quite a stir with a video ad. But homosexuals Keith Mills and Patty Manning both say that it would be terrible, a terrible mistake to redefine marriage. There are many people who feel the same way as I do, but they're afraid to speak out because of the extraordinary bullying that's coming from the Yes campaign. We shouldn't bow to that intimidation, said Manning. Mills said, if gay couples want constitutional protection, put civil partnerships in the Constitution, but don't redefine marriage. I mean, that is a very simple matter. Why do we have to redefine marriage? The two men have appeared in television debates to argue for the no vote on the referendum. They lost. And now they are featured in a video spelling out their opposition, an ad which an Irish observer said Monday is coming up on the most YouTube watches of the day. In the video, Mills said it is not a matter of equality. 
we already have civil partnerships in Ireland. And civil partnerships give gay couples protection and recognition. In fact, the ceremony is the same as civil marriage, right down to the saying of, I do. True equality recognizes difference, and it doesn't deliberately take away a child's right to a mother or a father, he added. Mills said he believes children deserve a mother and a father wherever possible. For me, marriage is about children and a family, and not a way to measure adult relationships. This is really all about the individual adults who want what they want and a lack of concern for children. He goes on to point out how same-sex relationships have already caused havoc for children. To have children, gay men like me have to either adopt or use surrogacy. Surrogacy turns children into commodities. Putting adult desires above the rights of children, having babies made to order, and wombs to rent. We're seeing in other countries how messy this can get with surrogacy cases ending up in the court. And where are the child's best interests in that? Mills warned that approving the government's amendment would be saying there is no distinction between the union of a man and a woman and two men and two women. He insists there is a difference between the relationships and to pretend otherwise is wrong. It's not a matter of better or worse. It's a matter of recognizing difference and celebrating diversity. Saying there is no distinction uh, is really ridiculous. Now, he was called a homophobe for making those comments. <laughs> and he made sure that they realized he was not. This is Katie Faust. Katie Faust is on the Academic and Testimonial Councils of the International Children's Rights Institute. She writes an open letter to Justice Kennedy, who the Supreme Court is now making a ruling in June concerning same-sex marriage. And uh, Katie grew up as the child of uh, same-sex marriage. I'll read you a portion of this again from one who comes from a family of same-sex parents. Dear Justice Kennedy, June is nigh, and with it will come your ruling on the most conscientious political issue of our time, marriage. May I say also, it's interesting to note that during the Civil War, something that divided this nation was based on two issues, slavery and marriage. The marriage issue that was going on was with the Mormons and polygamy. Now, it's interesting how it's all going down. I write because I am one of many children with gay parents who believe we should protect marriage. I believe you were right when, during the Proposition 8 deliberations, you said the voice of those children, same-sex parents, is important. I'd like to explain why I think redefining marriage would actually serve to strip these children of their most fundamental rights. It's very difficult to speak about this subject because I love my mom. Most of us children with gay parents do. We also love their partners. You don't hear much from us. As far as the media is concerned, it's impossible that we could love our gay parents and oppose gay marriage. Many are of the opinion that I should not exist, but I do. 
and I'm not the only one. This debate at its core is about one thing. It's about our children. The definition of marriage should have nothing to do with lessening emotional suffering within the homosexual community. If the Supreme Court were able to make rulings to affect feelings, racism would have ended 50 years ago. Nor is this issue primarily about the florist, the baker, or even the candlestick maker, though the very real impact on those private citizens is well publicized. The Supreme Court has no business involving itself in romance or interpersonal relationships. I hope very much that your ruling in June will be devoid of any such consideration. Government should promote the well-being of children. Children are the reason government has any stake in this discussion at all, and Congress was spot on in 1996 when it passed the Defense of Marriage Act, stating, at bottom, civil society has an interest in maintaining and protecting the institution of heterosexual marriage because it has a deep and abiding interest in encouraging responsible procreation and child-rearing. Simply put, Government has an interest in marriage because that has an interest in children. I cringe when I think now because it was a lie. My parents' divorce has been the most traumatic event in my 30 years of life. When I did love my mother's partner and friends, I would have traded every one of them to have my mom and dad under the same roof. This should come as no surprise to anyone who's willing to remove the political correct lens that we all seem to have over our eyes. Kids want their mother and father to love them and to love each other. I have no bitterness towards either of my parents. On the contrary, I'm grateful for a close relationship with them both and for the role they play in my children's lives. But loving my parents and looking critically at the impact of family breakdown are not mutually exclusive. Now that I'm a parent, I see clearly the beautiful differences my husband and I bring to our family. I see the wholeness and health to my children received because they have both parents living and loving them. I see how important the role of a father is and how irreplaceable I am as a mother. We play complementary roles in their lives and neither of us is disposable. In fact, we are both critical. It's almost as if Mother Nature got this whole reproduction thing right. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear a strong voice like that. It wasn't Mother Nature. It was God, Father God. And this is why we oppose same-sex marriage. And last of all, let me give you the fourth reason we oppose it. It imposes its acceptance on all society. It imposes the acceptance on all society. The civil government now dictates moral behavior and the church and God are eliminated from that factor. How many of you were told by someone who didn't believe in God that you cannot, your morality, you cannot legislate your morality over my life? That is exactly what this is doing. Legislating the morality of the gay agenda over our lives. Now we've heard the stories of the florist and the baker who did not want to participate in a gay marriage. They have that right, but yet on equal rights, they shouldn't be denied to buy or purchase those things. It's interesting when you look at this issue with the florist, it was her friend, her gay friend, that made this a lawsuit. She just could not participate in that marriage. So now, with this passing, 
it's going to have a huge impact on the church and you as to your participation and your consideration of the morality of same-sex marriage. Consider this. Christian colleges and universities were warned by the United States government during the Supreme Court oral arguments over the federal legalization of same-sex marriage that was within this month that if they continue their opposition to the controversial unions, they will lose their tax-exempt status and be forced out of business. A Christian university, public university, would not be allowed to keep out same-sex marriage because it is mandated constitutional. And so what will happen to Christian organizations that believe that it is morally wrong and would not participate in it? What will happen to churches? I, quite possibly, in another two months, could not say this sermon or share this sermon with you without paying a high fine or losing our tax-exempt status or ending up in jail. I'm not going to stop. I have to preach the gospel. You have to preach the gospel. Amen? I am not opposed uh, to homosexuals, to gays, lesbians. I don't have a problem with them doing what they want to do. They are people who will choose to do what they want to do. Everybody does what they want to do. But you cannot stop me from sharing my convictions of what is moral and what is sinful. That is something I have the right to do. But with this constitutional passing, it may become hate language because they're putting it under the civil rights banner. And now it would become hate language for me to say homosexuality is a sin. Adultery is a sin. Fornication is a sin. Lying is a sin. And so I treat everybody in that same condition. We're all sinners that have been offered the grace of God. And so we preach that, we teach that, and we cannot stop. Russell Moore, the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, said this, The outcome of this decision in June will shape the landscape of the church's ministry in the United States for generations to come. If we have a redefinition of marriage across the board by judicial decree, then the church will have a responsibility more than ever to articulate what marriage is and model it correctly in the first place. Religious freedom will be overruled by the mandate of the courts, and that is going to be interesting. All right, what do we do? We're within a month of this decision. Quite possibly, the Supreme Court will put it back to the states, and they'll say that they will not rule on it, but it will make it a state-by-state issue. That only delays what the inevitable is, as every state has even put in the Marriage Act to defend a man and a woman. Judges have overturned it, uh, even despite the voters. And this is a republic that representatives are supposed to represent the vote, but it seems judges have the ability to overturn that. And so it's a matter of time that this thing is coming. It seems that as we've spoken, what have we done as a church? This is our day. This is our hour. This is our watch. What have we done? I've stood in the place for Christ Community Church, and I know many of you have in this situation. I've stood with pastors throughout Michigan as we've made uh, public decrees 
that we believe in the value of traditional marriage. I've stood with black pastors in the city of Detroit as we've made public declaration that this is not a civil rights issue, this is a morality issue, and that we do not approve of same-sex marriage. I've been at the courthouse down in Detroit, standing in front of it as the church, making a public representation of what the Bible says, caring and loving to those who are opposed to it. Uh, uh, I don't want us to be lampooned or, or characterized by those rogue Christians who carry hate-mongering signs and disparaging words against homosexuality. We're not about that. We're about loving and caring for people, and we can have intelligent conversation with people and hopefully win people by the love of Christ. And I've also been at Lansing, where I've been called a hater. I was shocked by this. I was surprised at the response. And I'm sharing it with you because you need to get ready for what you're going to be called. When we were on the steps at Lansing, again, the pastors of Michigan gathering together, well over 130 of us, standing on the Capitol steps, declaring we believe in traditional marriage, do not change the vote of the people. There was a woman who was a reverend there going to all of the newspapers, making her statements, and boy, they loved to have her. She was very flamboyant. And I remember coming down to hear what she had to say, and when I came by her, she began talking about how most of these pastors here are haters, Most of them are probably liars. There's probably about 20 or 30 gay pastors there in the midst of them, but they won't admit it. She said that probably Jesus was gay as well because his cousin laid his head on his shoulder proving that he invited that kind of closeness with the Apostle John. What? So when she was done with her interview, I went and I said, excuse me, I've got to ask you a question. She said, I don't talk to haters. I said, no, I just have a question. Did you say that? I don't talk to haters. You're a hater. You're a hater. I know your type. You're haters. And I won't have anything to do with haters. I said, I'm not a hater. I just came to have a discussion. She says, you're a hater. I want nothing to do with you. Leave me alone. And she left. And so this is the opposition. This is what we're up against. This is what you're going to face. You see, if this passes, and likely so, you will all become bigots haters, homophobes, and the like, if you will uphold the word of God. You need to be ready for this, and we as a people need to be ready. We try to stand in the public square. We can no longer stand as the church when half the church has already accepted it. So there's a remnant that has to uphold this. Where we can stand with confidence and with power is in the heavenlies. And so as a church, I'm calling for a fast, a church-wide fast, this Wednesday, all day Wednesday. We have prayer from 12 to 2 o'clock here in the sanctuary if you'd like to come and pray. But all day, if you would fast, and you would pray to the Supreme Court of all Supreme Courts. Amen? And take it up with God to impart and to speak out and to speak wisdom and revelation to the Supreme Court justices. These, this is only a list of five. I, I've, I've missed uh, some of them. So I'd like you to look up the rest of those Supreme Court justices. We'll see where it goes. But we're going to pray and fast. I want you to pray all month long. But specifically on Wednesday, we're going to pray this Wednesday on the 27th. And we're going to 
seek God's face for this situation? What are we going to do? What happens if same-sex marriage is passed in the United States? We're going to do what the church has done for 2,000 years. We're going to continue to preach the love of Christ and the forgiveness of sins and to reach out to the lost. We will stand where others will scoff at us, where others will marginalize us. They may take away our tax-exempt status. Would you still come to church if we can't meet? Amen. We may lose the building, but we can find a building, an open field. We can find some place to gather. Amen. We will still be the church. We will still declare what is right. And we need to be here, brothers and sisters, because there will be many people from broken homes, broken families, broken marriages, from what this is going to do to our culture and our society. They're going to need a help. And the church needs to be here to say, Christ welcomes you and will set you free. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today that we will proclaim your gospel despite the social climate. We know heaven's climate. We know what the Father's heart is. We care for these people. We care for the lost. And Father, we care for this nation would you turn it around and make it, Lord God, to the favor of the children and protect them? Call your people to prayer. And Father, we praise you now for all that you're doing and all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand together and praise God with 10,000 reasons.